0: Welcome to Insight, Bible-based learning at the Windsor Village Church family in Houston, Texas. This is lesson number one in the ongoing series, The Gospel of Matthew. Today's presenter is Pastor Kimberly Orr. I, I advise you to get a good study Bible of some kind, um, New Living, English Standard, um, Holman Christian Standards, um, NIV, any of those. I w- a New King James is also good. I, w- I would avoid the old King James only because we don't use most of that language. So we'll be going verse by verse. Today is actually a general introduction to the Gospel of Matthew. Next week we'll start on the genealogy. Um, Someone last night. Um, this class is also held at 4:30 on Saturdays over at Heatherbrook. It's the same lesson for each weekend. So if for some reason you've got to serve at 10, you can come 4:30 the, the previous Saturday and get the same lesson you would have gotten now. Okay? Um, so that's over in the old, the old Deck as well, the bookstore, over at Heatherbrook. Alright? Every pastor will have their own notes. These are, these are my introductory notes. So, how many of you studied the Gospel of Matthew before? Okay, excellent. What's the wonderful thing about the Word of God? It's always living, right? You can go through it 20 times, 100 times, and get something new because the Holy Spirit is always living and active in the middle of it, right? Yeah. So, uh, I just want to give some foundations for this class. Um, this class will be thoroughgoing Lee Wesleyan, okay? Uh, pastor is, is, is very, uh, his passion is that we understand who we are as as Windsor members, uh, and one of those distinctives of who we are as Windsor members is that is that we look at the Bible and the action of God in the universe through what's called a Wesleyan lens. How many of you know who John Wesley is? Okay, you've at least heard of him, right? Okay, he and his brother uh, lived in 18th century England, mid-1700s, and, and they founded... What is called the Methodist movement, okay, and and their distinctive was major distinctive was that God's grace is available for everybody, not just some folks, <laughs> but everybody, uh, and that was that was kind of huge, all right. Uh, when it made that distinctive made its way to the United States, it ends up as the Methodist churches. How, how many of you grew up uh, A.M.E. All right, good. Uh, CME? Okay. Uh, Methodist Methodist. United Methodist. Okay. How about Baptist? Love how bad me too. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Baptist Methodist. Okay. Yes. <laughs> what about the Catholics? Catholic? Catholic. Catholic? <laughs> good, good, good. Kojic? Okay. Yeah, yeah. All right. Okay, who else? So, so who else grew up? I grew up in. Pentecostal. Okay, you're not a Pentecostal or? Yeah. Okay. Or, or old, old school, what I call Four Square, <laughs> or uh, Church God in Christ, or uh, uh, Assemblies of God. Um, by the way, Kojic, CME, AME, Assemblies of God, all Pentecostals are Wesleyan. They come out of the same box. Okay? Um, Wesleyan churches, Methodist churches, are not Protestant. we get that out the way. We're not Protestant. We are a third pathway in Christianity. You've got the Catholic Orthodox. And by the way, I went to Catholic seminary for two years, so I can speak Catholic. Okay, so. <laughs> Amen. So um, we're not Catholic or Orthodox. We are not mainline Protestant. We're not Lutheran, Baptist, all that. We are Wesleyan, which actually John Wesley was more influenced by the primitive church, the church before um, Constantine, than most most churches. So um, we we have a rich tradition that pastor wants us to live into. So that's the lens we're going to be putting over the text as we study it together. Um, so, But please, if you something that you've heard or learned in the past uh, butts up against, clashes what you're hearing, question it, raise your hand, okay? Um, and ask some questions, all right? And we'll have time uh, to, to make some uh, discussions and things along the way. Um, and in this foundations page, I'm not gonna read all of it, obviously, but I just want to let you know kind of the foundations from which we're coming. Again, Wesleyan perspective, also, what it meant, what the scripture meant, when it was put down and written, is still what it means. All right? Um, so that's why context, the history, the language, is all very important in how we can understand it best. Okay? Um, I like to think of it as we're overhearing what God gave the first audience. Because there was a first audience. There was an audience to whom the book was originally written. And then there's us. And by the power and work of the Holy Spirit, we overhear the principles that God was giving the first audience. Okay? So that's, that's extremely important. And then we need to understand that there are different types of literature in the Bible. Somebody, somebody give me an example of a type of literature in the Bible. What types of literature are there? Poetry. Oh, like the poetry? Good. Excellent. Letters. Letters? Good. Excellent. Gospel. Gospel? We'll talk about that in a second about what is gospel. What else? Song? Songs? Good. Something History. else? History. What? History. History? Excellent. What's that? Law. Law. Good. Excellent. So, there's all these types of literature and each type of literature has to be interpreted According to how God gave it to us, we don't interpret, I do not interpret Psalms uh, 142 the same way I'm going to interpret 2 Kings. Okay? Because David is using very heightened, expressive, exaggerated language to make a point in the Psalms, and it's very emotional. As for 2 Kings is telling me, this is how it went. Right? So gospel is a unique category. Thank you for bringing it up. Most scholars believe that gospel is actually a biography form, some kind of biography. Um, It was primarily, the gospels were primarily used as teaching texts in the early church. Um, Matthew is a perfect example of a teaching text. Most Gospels, except the three, three of the four Gospels, are not written in chronological order. In other words, they're not following this happened, then this happened, then this happened. Do you know which Gospel is like that? Which Gospel goes, and then this happened, and then this happened, and then this happened? Lou. thank you. He says right at the beginning, no. I'm doing this so you know how it went. <laughs> right? Um, but Matthew, Mark, and John are more interested in topics... You'll see as we look at the structure of Matthew, there's sort of big circles drawn around various teaching topics. Okay, um, so most of the gospels have as their well, all four gospels actually, to be accurate, are very interested in the theology, what we think about God, and how we deal with each other in the church. You know, so. Um, remember all of these Gospels were written after Jesus ascended. Okay? They're not written, there's not somebody sitting there taking dictation. Right? So what happened after Jesus was ascended is that then the early church got together and said, what do you remember? Were you there when? What happened? Do you remember when this happened? And they all got together and they would, they would have somebody who could write because writing and reading, there weren't a lot of folks who could do that. Um, as a matter of fact, it's very interesting. Writing was considered the job of the servant. <laughs> you had um, you rich people paid people to read and write for them. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so, so education was not about reading and writing as it is now. Education was actually amassing a battery of knowledge that was you were able to speak well you were able to argue well, you were able to, to, to be able to put into practice all of the teachings of the great philosophers of the time. Mm-hmm. So it was all oral, you know, this is who we are, this is what we believe, this is what you do to be a good man or a good woman in society, mm-hmm. um, and to stand up and argue and state your case was prized above all else. To write it down was only for record keeping. Mm-hmm. It's very different than our society. Okay. Just my little side, side note and caveat. We live in a, we live at the cusp of history. Many of you realize this. Where there's a whole set of two generations now whose neurology brain function is now primarily formed by technology. Oh, yes. Okay. Oh, yes. oh, yes. All right. So. Okay, that, that's just a, a hard, cold reality. Their, their brain has been formed by technology. We, and those prior to us up until about 1450, have been formed by text. Our neurology has been formed by pages and text and looking at stuff. Prior to 1450, before the ubiquitous use of the printing press, everything, the neurology was formed by oral storytelling. You still have cultures today where that's true. Oral storytelling, story keepers, that's a very important part of culture and society. But it's interesting, if you go back to Europe and you read some of the documents around the time when people were learning to read, everybody was basically learning to read in the 14, 15, 1600s through the Renaissance. People were freaking out like they are now. They're not going to remember everything. They're just going to be tied to this document. This is such a horror that they're just gonna be dealing with text when they should be memorizing it all. <laughs> <laughs> so, fast forward 500 years. Yeah. Right. Here we are at the cusp of history again. Yeah. It's not wrong, it's different. Yeah. All right? <laughs> just because our brain was formed this way does not, does not mean this is from hell. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All, right. <laughs> All right? You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? Okay. I'm just saying. okay. All right. So, <laughs> so, history is repeating itself, but because there is this chasm, this canyon between those whose neurologists formed one way and those who formed another, um, we have to learn to, to bridge that gap a little bit, right. okay? Because, for instance, my daughter who's 22, uh loves her technology she doesn't own a cookbook except for nostalgia <laughs> except for nostalgia she props up her little phone watches the youtube video cooks but she's making it by hand she loves artisanal things you know she's going to make need that dough and really go old school on it but enhanced by the technology and that seems to be where we're headed that um, we have, there's a love for old school manufacturing and artisanal work and slow cooking and all of that. And enhanced by technology, right? Okay? Or bookbinding. Who knew? Bookbinding and making things out of leather and tooling. All that has come a big renaissance of all of that. Enhanced by technology. So, as we move forward, I want to invite you to enhance your study with technology as you go along. One of the things that we'll be doing is is teaching you uh, how to use some of the apps if you don't already. How many of you use a Bible app? Okay, very good. Excellent. We'll see. Y'all good? (laughs) Sometimes. You go back and forth. I like to write. There you go. You like to write. Um, and 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 they do still say uh, neurologists do still say that writing still does help. It Doesn't have to be in cursive. Now y'all don't go there, but <laughs> just physically marking um, actually still has a tie to the brain uh, that typing doesn't. All right. So we're going to work. We're going to work through some of that. Teach you how to teach you how to, to take, take a few notes and mark your Bible, um, and then. Finally, a little history about the Gospel of Matthew. Now I've given you a long history which you can read at your leisure in the middle here, page 5, which is by uh, Dr. Craig Keener, who's a professor of New Testament Studies at um, Asbury Seminary, page 5, page 4 and page 5. I had a question last night as we were doing this study. Did Matthew the Apostle actually write this? Maybe. Okay? Probably contributed to it. Matthew could write. We know that for a fact because he was what? Tax collector. collector. So he had to keep up with records, right? (laughs) So then we know he could write. Um, So... Again, we're talking about there was a lot of documents that people put together because at the early church they said, were you there at the feeding of the 5,000? Great. Can you tell me about that? We're going to write that down. Were you there when this happened? Great. Let's write that down. So Matthew started a church up on the coast in what is now northern Israel. It was a community of believers that included mostly Jews, but also some non-Jews and Gentiles in the congregation. And what they did is that they sat down with Matthew, what Matthew had written, along with what was kind of in the community, and they put together what is called the Gospel of Matthew under the inspiration and power of the Holy Spirit. One of the things you have to know is that Jesus is 100% human and 100% God, right? At the same time, so is the Bible. The Bible is 100% a human document. And 100% God's word. At the same time. That's what makes it the living word. God is desperately trying to communicate with us. And so this is one of the ways. This is the primary way that the Lord has given us. Is through this document. God didn't knock people out. And have them write like this. <laughs> All right, <laughs> He worked through their lives. Exactly as they were. To create the Bible. Um, and the, the way, the big criteria for how things got in the New Testament was whether it was attached to a person who actually saw Jesus and lived with Jesus, the apostles. Okay? So Matthew had oversight of what went in this gospel. We know he wrote some of it. We know that other people wrote some of it and then put it together, stitched it together under his authority. Okay, so when we say Matthew, some people will call it the Mactean community, which is accurate. But for lack of a better word, we're just going to say Matthew. All right? Uh, because Matthew oversaw it anyhow. Because <laughs> we know he could write. Um, sometime written sometime between 70 and 90 AD. Uh, uh, so um, this was the second gospel actually written. You know, it's first in the order, and we'll talk about why that is. But it's the second gospel actually written. What's the first gospel that was written? John. Gospel. Gospel. No, thank you. Yeah. Gospel. Mark. 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 That's the oldest one. Um, we can tell through the language usage um, and stories that Matthew most likely picked up Mark as a source document, along with some of these other common documents of the day that had the sayings of Jesus in them. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are known as the synoptic gospels. comes from the word that we, they' similar to the word for synonym. They're similar. They're, they have similar stories and talk about similar things. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, right? Matthew puts a great emphasis on two things as far as dating it goes. One, we know it was written pretty close after the temple was destroyed in 70 A.D., We see a lot of reference to that in some way or another in Matthew. And he has a great emphasis on explaining the Jewish context of Jesus. Um, Some scholars will even talk about the Gospel of Matthew as, now here's a Jewish word, but midrash of Jesus' life. Midrash is a Jewish word that just simply means explaining through story things that aren't a part of the Scripture itself, the Old Testament, quote-unquote, but are a part of a way of explaining what God meant. Jesus came on the scene as God in the flesh, second person of the Trinity, and said, y'all done mess this up over here. Okay? <laughs> Let me come show you how I meant it. This is what I meant. Okay? This is who I am. This is what I meant. So... <laughs> Let me explain what the Torah really was. And remember Torah, the word Torah means instruction. The instructions of God. There are 613 laws, or the Jewish word again is mitzvot. M-I-T-Z-V-O-T, mitzvot. It just simply means the teachings are the boundary lines. We've been talking about on on Wednesday night, how... Probably law is not the best translation because we got a lot of baggage attached to that word. Okay? But really, fits boundaries. The 613 mitzvot of which the Ten Commandments are a part of are within the circle of what God says is how it's best for us to operate as humans. So Jesus takes this big battery of work, 613 plus all the other teachings that are in the, in the Torah, and mashes it down, boils it down like good syrup. Boils it down and takes... Okay. I cooked kale last night. So, you know when you put this whole, like a half a bag of kale in the pot and then you look down in there five minutes later and there's a little (laughs) bit of stuff? Okay. (laughs) That's what Jesus was doing with the Torah. He took that big mound of stuff... And boils down to basically Matthew 5, 6, and 7. The Sermon on the Mount. The Gospel of Matthew revolves around those basic teachings. 5, 6, and 7, we call the Sermon on the Mount. And the rest of the Gospel unpacks it in some way. So, questions about the history or the background of Matthew before we move on? We're going to talk about structure in a second. Yes? When we move on, let's define Chester. What's that? Well, you oh, you. chutzpah! Yeah, we're gonna talk about that in a minute. Yeah, the, I title the Gospel of Matthew the Chutzpah Gospel. Chutzpah is uh, means guts, nerve, stand toe to toe with a gorilla. Uh, it means it means to to to, to not have um, any fear about speaking the truth. Chutzpah. Because this is a primarily Jewish centric gospel, I use the Jewish word, a Yiddish word, to describe how Jesus teaches. He teaches with great boldness, with great passion. Back up. He's gonna, he's gonna speak the truth in love, but nonetheless, he's very bold at going after the Pharisees. Okay? The early rabb- uh, rabbinical schools that after 70 A.D. set the foundation for what is now modern Judaism. Um, And Jesus goes right after their arrogance and their pride. Um, And and he doesn't back up. (laughs) It's amazing. It's amazing he doesn't get killed before he does. Um, It it just wasn't his time. He kept saying, it's not my time yet, it's not my time yet, but when it's my time, we're going to go there. All right, so let's look at the structure. If you look on the structure at page 8, page 8 on your handout, on the bottom you see this little diagram, right? I personally look at the Gospel of Matthew uh, as a type of drama. One of the reasons that there's this long uh, list of family members and genealogy at the beginning of the Gospel of Matthew is to mirror how stories were told in the ancient world especially in time of the romans and the greeks about heroes think about you remember studying mythology in school Mm -hmm. edith hamilton and all of the you know zeus and uh, aphrodite and all those things when they told their original stories or the birth stories of these deities quote unquote He would often say, and and, and their father was this, and their mother was this, and their brother was this. It was a way of setting up that these dudes were big time. It was a way of legitimizing and saying, this person is somebody. So that's one reason that the Gospel of Matthew starts off with this long genealogy. Another reason is because Matthew is also the bridge... Between the First Testament and the New Testament. That's the reason it's put first, even though it was written second. Because it bridges the people called Israel, Jewish, to the new life in Christ, which includes both Jews and Gentiles. In the Jewish order of the books of the First Testament, the Hebrew Scripture, 1 and 2 Chronicles, the book of Chronicles is last, not Malachi. Okay, in the ordering. They have the same books, okay, but they're just in a different order. The genealogy that's in the beginning of Matthew is very similar to the genealogy that's in 1 Chronicles. With just rare exception. So, this is another physical bridge in the Bible between Chronicles and Matthew, the last book in the Hebrew Scriptures and the first book in the New Testament. So it's really drawing that bridge with a bold line from the end of the Hebrew Revelation to the beginning of the Greek Revelation, if you will. Right? So that's another reason that they're next door to each other in the text. It's like you roll up one scroll and open another. Okay? Make sense? So he said the last book of Chronicles. Yes. First of yeah, the last book in the Old Testament in the Hebrew ordering uh-huh. of the Bible, Hebrew books, is Chronicles. Okay. Not Malachi. No. And so, they went then, then, so when Matthew is written and ordered, people know this. And so, it was put in right next to each other. Yeah. Yes? Pastor, they only have Old Testament. No, they don't have New Testament. They just have what we call the Old Testament, Old Testament. or what I like to call the First Testament. It's just ordered differently. The, book, the books are absolutely identical to what we have. They're just put in a different order. Okay. Um, so, for instance, like if you're looking at your Bible, um, Genesis through Deuteronomy, same order. all right. But then, in the Hebrew Bible, um, they, put, they put together what's called the prophets, which begins with Isaiah and Jeremiah. And then all of the minor prophets. Yeah. Then they have what's called the Ketuvim, which are the writings, which begin with Psalms, Job, and Psalms, and go forward and even pick up things like Esther and Daniel and those kinds of things, and then end with First and Second Chronicles, or what we call First. They just have Chronicles. It's all one book, and that's at the end of their canon. And then ours starts with Matthew, and those bridge together very, very neatly that way. Okay. Because the Bible of the apostles and the early church was not the New Testament. The Bible was the first testament. They didn't have everything yet. The Gospel of Matthew would have been circulated, and you might have the Gospel of Matthew this month, but the church 30 miles away may have it next month. <laughs> so as copies were written, and they got complete Groupings, but at first it was, you know, they were carrying these around on donkeys and in backpacks and and, and, and heading out, right? Um, I remember when I went to Hungary right after the wall had fallen in, in Eastern Europe, and there weren't a lot of Bibles, and the churches had been underground. And oftentimes they might just have a page of the Bible to teach from for like a month. And then they would switch with another underground church that had more pages. <laughs> so this practice has been going on for quite a while. Um, I'll never forget when I gave a little old lady who was, she was in her 80s, God rest her soul, cleaning the floor in the, the lobby of the hotel. I just walked up to her and gave her a Bible. She had never held a Bible in her hands her entire life, and she was in her early 80s in Hungary. It was amazing. So the Word of God is still still valued no matter where we go. So, all right, so the structure is here, and then I'm going to let you go. Uh, But the structure is down here. You will find scholars who will disagree with me, but that's okay. Um, You'll find those ones that agree. (laughs) Basically, the gospel is broken up into what is called five major speeches. Jesus makes five speeches. Um, chapters 1 through 4 lead up to, which you get of the birth narrative, and this is the only place where we have the magi coming out of the east. Okay? Um, we have you know, the birth narrative, the, the John the Baptist narrative. It leads all the leads up to the Sermon on the Mount, which is the first big speech. That's chapters 5, 6, and 7. Then we have some more set up <laughs> to chapters 10 and chapters 13, which are really unpacking now everything that he's taught in the Sermon on the Mount, he's going to live out. He's going to show you look, this how this is done. Okay? This, is, this is how you love your neighbor. This is how you live in holiness. This is this is this is how this works. Very practical. Then we get uh, and some more lead up up to chapter 18. And chapter 18 is another speech really on um, more on what is uh, on earth as it is in heaven. Let me back up just a second. Chapters 10 and chapters 13 you'll recognize by these phrases like um, the kingdom of God is light. The kingdom of heaven is light. And he'll give an example. That's those teachings in chapters 10 and chapter 13. Again, this is opening up what is the kingdom that he laid out in chapters 5, 6, and 7? Again, the third speech, or act 3 here, is, is summed up in chapter 18. On earth as it is in heaven, the kingdom of God on its feet. What we see most especially throughout the Gospels is that Jesus didn't sit much except to teach. Rest of the time he was up on his feet doing kingdom, being kingdom, and that's what we have to regain in the church of Jesus Christ. The church on our feet, not the church in the pew. Right. The church was never meant to be a come and sit. Right. It was to be a get up and go. Right. Because how does this gospel end? Tell me. What's the great commission? Go ye. Go ye. Is that Sit? No, let's no, go ye. The church is not about y'all invite folks to come here. Its go be the good news where you are, and then they'll come. but it's not about what's inside the walls as much as it what is outside the walls. Um, Jesus never established a building of worship. Think about it. He never said, I'm creating this great institution. He said, "Go ye. The church is a people, not a building. Right? And so that's really what this is. So then um, now there are two possible climaxes in the Gospel of Matthew. I chose the one, um, actually it, 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 here in chapter 24:25, where really Jesus is being revealed as the fulfillment of Moses. One like Moses. Why? Because this is a thoroughgoingly Jewish gospel. Right? And who's the greatest hero in Judaism? Moses. Because that's who God gave the law through, right? He's right. the one that went on Mount Sinai. Right. And, and like, was face to face with the Lord. So that was kind of a big deal. And no one greater than Moses existed... He was the big hero. But explicitly, Matthew records the people saying, one greater than Moses has come. To me, that's a climactic statement. Because everything up to this point has been about teaching and living Torah. What, is, what did God really mean when he gave all these rules and laws and boundaries? What do you mean? This is what he meant. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Do good. Pray. Fast. Be in community. All the things that we find in the Sermon on the Mount. Right? Now... Other scholars will talk about that the climax is actually the end of the gospel where it says, go ye therefore into all the world, uh, making disciples, teaching them to observe all the things that I have commanded you for lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. Right? Great. That means, if that's the climax, and I accept that as well, one or the other, that essentially we're doing this. We're opening up. Here's the climax. And then actually... There's no downturn. There's no denouement. There's nothing coming after. Who takes it from there? Us. We take the story from there. The church goes on out the door, and that's the rest of the story. So there is actually no ending to the Gospel of Matthew. If so you take that as the climax, Jesus dies, rises again, and then gives this commission to his people to just go out there. That's the climax. That's the most important point. Everything rises to that. And if you want to think about it, that also ties all the way back to the first chapter of Matthew and to the fifth chapter of Matthew, which we'll see in detail, where who is the kingdom? Where is the kingdom? This is it. The kingdom of God comes when we as the church, empowered with Jesus' spirit, are moving along on our feet wherever we go we are the gospel we are the good news because that's what the word gospel means right? good news wherever we are and that's the simple definition of evangelism by the way you ain't got to have all that <laughs> the simple definition of evangelism is be the good news wherever you are that's it because it's the Lord who draws them to Himself. Anyhow, mm-hmm. you don't have to memorize those four your laws. <laughs> you don't have to have a pitch. <laughs> because let me tell you what, folks are kind of tired of that yeah. out in the world. Yeah. They, they, they got that. Yeah. You know, they don't want a bait and switch. That's right. But Jesus' life and the life of the church—the person who says they're a follower of Jesus—their life ought to be in a good way, contagious as it says, Paul says, a sweet aroma. Mm-hmm. Um, so that when we leave the room it smell better than, than when we came in. Right. Spiritually. Right? That's the good news. That's the gospel. We've made it way too complicated. Yeah? So that's the basic structure. You can read all this other stuff that's in here during this week. I would advise you, if you have time, um, Read through the Gospel of Matthew or listen to the Gospel of Matthew all the way through. Or as much of it as you can get done before next week. Just so you kind of get a grand sweep of the whole thing. <coughs> I, when's the last time you sat down and read a book of the Bible from Cover to Cover? Like a novel. And so approach it that way. You can go online and listen to it. I, I often listen to it. Um, uh, Bible Gateway And Bible study tools both have apps that you can just plop up in your car and you can listen to the Bible. Um, I would advise you to do that. If that's the best time for you is in the car or working out or cleaning the house, um, listen to it. There's even the NIV actually has a dramatized version of the Gospels as well. So that's a good way to get it in your spirit. Um, So um, I would just encourage you to do that before next week. I see the Gospel of Matthew very much like a drama. Mm -hmm. So so if you go to a play, there's in this case five acts, A-C-T. Okay? Okay. Five times the curtain comes down, five times it comes up. And who's on the stage in the center? Jesus. Jesus. He's making the big speech. He's doing the monologue. Um, As a matter of fact, several places he uses theatrical language. Technical language. One most uh, glaring example is the word hypocrite. Hypocrite is a theatrical word, first and foremost, before it got the, the meaning that it does today. A hypocrite was actually an actor who put on a mask to take on another role. So, for instance, actors were just blank sheets of paper, basically, on a stage, and whatever mask they took on, and sometimes they would take on two or three in any given play, they would take on this role. And that was they were hypocrites. Didn't mean anything negative. That was the mask they took on. So when Jesus calls the Pharisees a bunch of hypocrites, alright, he's saying y'all are just acting. Y'all don't really know the Lord. Y'all just acting. And that was like, woo! There two ways it was offensive to the Pharisees. One, they were being called out for their pretense. Right. The second thing, they were Jesus was associating with the sinful theater. Because yeah. yeah, the theater was viewed as sinful by real holy people. Okay? So Jesus kind of went right at them. We know that Jesus knew what the theater was. How? Because right over the hill from his hometown of Nazareth was a huge theater. He and his daddy worked over there. They maybe even helped build the thing. Because Jesus was not a carpenter, by the way. He was a tekton. T-E-K-T-O-N. That's what the Greek word is for Jesus and his daddy. Tekton. T-E-K-T-O-N. A tecton was not a carpenter. (laughs) They ain't got that much wood in the Middle East, all right? There's some, and they would have used it to frame doors or things like that. But by and large, a tecton was a jack-of-all-trades, a foreman, a building foreman. They knew how to do it all. They knew how to frame it, build it, post it, lay it, wire it, and everything else. They were in charge, generally speaking. Think of, um, how many of you have heard of the Amish house framers? Anybody ever heard of those? If you ever lived up in the east, east, northeast? One of the jobs uh, that Amish people do, because you know Amish, they stay separate apart from the rest of society. One of the things they do to make a living is that they frame houses, buddy. Like like ain't nobody's business. They can frame they can frame a big two story house in three days. Mm-hmm. We come out there with a the crew, it is done. And it's solid. No crooked boards, no nails sticking out. <clears throat> solid frame just. Apparently, Joseph and his daddy and their family were very much like this. They would come across the hill. They were very separated, the high holy, you know, orthodox Jews, but they would come over the hill from Nazareth to a rather large uh, Roman city, and that's where they did most of their work. Was in this Roman city. So Jesus was exposed to and understood society. Okay? He wasn't sitting around going like this. <laughs> You know, <laughs> all day. He didn't have blonde hair, blue eyes, and red, and live three feet off the ground. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he was probably about this tall. His folks were short, okay. He would have dark curly hair, and he probably was a little stout, mm-hmm. right? Because man, he could lift. He could lift stuff. He was a techton. Mm-hmm. So he knew how to use tools, and he knew how to work, and he knew how to organize. For disciples. Mm-hmm. He knew how to organize a campaign. He had organizational skills. He had the ability to, to uh, oversee things, right? So um, that's the better way to translate is that he was a, a foreman, a construction foreman. See, in the King James, a carpenter meant more than just someone who worked with wood in the King James time. Right. When it was translated, that's what they used because it was both a stonemason and, and a carpenter was what a carpenter was okay. in, 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 in the time around 1600. So that's the reason that's, that's been brought forward, but it's really not a large enough translation. Does that make sense? If we're going to run into a lot of stuff like that throughout the Gospels, you're going to go, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. <laughs> but um, that's, that's one of the wonderful things about the Word of God, is, is you can never exhaust, you can never exhaust what's there. Okay, so let's take some stuff away. Look on the very back page of your notes here. First of all, before I do my takeaways, what's something new you learned today that you're going to mull on this week? That Jesus wasn't a Okay. <laughs> all right. <laughs> I mean, it, I, uh, that's what I was taught. to all of us, all of us. And yes. Just, uh, the concept of different ways of learning. Like you said, before 1450, it was oral speaking. From then to now, it's really been print. And now we're going into this age where it's technology. Right. iPads. and Digital. And yeah. But so that's kind of an interesting revelation. Yeah. And there are, if you Google some of the neurological journals, um, they talk about the the switch in neurology, um, and which is important to understand what's going on. Also, this is the first time in human history that there have been five generations alive at the same time. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's huge. Five. five generations alive at the same time. We've got Ms. Shakel uh-huh. and my grandbaby. Uh-huh. That's five generations. Uh-huh. And three of those learn one way, and two of those learn another way. But the challenge of the church is to bring all of them right? So, y'all pray. Uh-huh. Yes, ma'am. I learned that the sea and hooks is silent. We own. That's all right. That was about the drama. I never looked at it that way. Yeah. It's, it's just no. a way to organize it. Yeah. If you look at it a bunch of ways. Yeah. That's my my, my version. Yeah. Yes, ma'am. Chronicles and Matthew. You're right. In the Hebrew Bible. Yes. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Good. Something else. And I learned that the Wesleyan faith is a third pathway. Uh, Thank you. Mm-hmm. Can you explain that a little more? Sure. So. John Wesley was most highly influenced by what are called the Eastern Fathers of the early, early church. Um, Most people don't realize that the church was actually birthed out of the Middle East and Northern Africa. The first great scholars actually came out of North Africa. Uh, And then out of also what is now uh, in Turkey, where Istanbul is. The great writers and thinkers were out of that circle there. John Wesley was most influenced by the scholars of North Africa and out of Istanbul area. That's what became what we now know as the Eastern Orthodox Church. He also read the Western Scholars, which became the Roman Catholic Church, and he was influenced by them, but not as heavily as the Eastern uh, but if you want, I can give you a list of those at some point. You can read some of those old scholars. They're, they're online. Bless the Lord. <laughs> um, so John Wesley combined teachings out of that, the primitive church, which predates Constantine, uh, and pulled those together to create what we know as Wesleyanism, okay? which, again, its emphases are on free grace the free action of God, that Jesus died for everybody. And that our life is built in, in sanctification. That we are less and less like sinful me and more and more like Jesus. And that that's the work and power of the Holy Spirit. That's what sanctification is, is this lifelong process. So those two combinations, it's really a third way in Christianity. Because the Protestant Reformation... Was, although it, had a, it was talked about grace it was grace in a different application grace mostly for those who God had chosen okay. uh, not for everybody free will Baptists lean more toward Wesley than they do toward their Protestant background I was raised free will missionary Baptist so we believe that you could choose by the grace and power of the Lord your salvation you could choose Jesus there are a lot of folks who don't believe that Right, and a lot of folks who believe you either in you out. Yeah. All right, <laughs> and, and, and and that's not who we are. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Seventeen oh three. Thank 17-90. you. Seventeen oh three to what? Seventeen twenty one. Ninety one. Correct. Seventeen ninety one. So I knew he died in ninety one. I just couldn't think of his birthday. <laughs> so thank you. Seventeen oh three. Bible study. We, we will. You'll get a lot of early church in here, I'll be honest with you. Because the Gospel of Matthew is the early church there. Okay. All of these Gospels had communities that they were written to. This is primitive church. Right here. Yeah. You can see a lot of the earliest church in, in the Gospels. They're not disembodied pieces of literature that's kind of float out there. They have feet and roots where they were written mm-hmm. yeah good so once again he combined the primitive primitive church, church. and eastern orthodox fathers okay. um, and, and came up with basically a, a, a new way of thinking about God's grace and, and, and God's salvation that was distinct or different than the protestant reformation of the day there's some links to it, absolutely. You could argue there are some links to it, absolutely. But that's not the primary influence of Wesley. Remember, he was an or, he was an Oxford scholar. He made his money teaching at Oxford and writing articles and preaching. That's how he made his money. So, we've said it before. He had a lot of money. Gave away 99 percent of it, but he had a lot of money. He he was he was Somebody who who worked hard and and, and had a Ph.D. and all that. You know, his parents, they had too many kids, so he didn't have a lot of money growing up. Check out stuff. Now, here's the deal. I'm going to warn you. Google is not your theological buddy. Okay? If y'all hadn't figured it out by now, there's some crazy stuff out there. what? So that's what I'm I say we're going to give you uh, resources that we know are good ones, right, right? Um, that we've checked out, that we know don't have weird stuff on it, um, and uh, Bible, uh, Bible Gateway, Bible study tools are very good, and if you have a little money to spend, Logos, L-O-G-O-S as an app is most excellent when it comes to like being a concordance. And and having study stuff, you can get the Hebrew and the Greek on there and that kind of thing. Logos, but it does cost money. It's not a cheap thing. Um, But you can still get plenty of information from uh, Bible Gateway and from Bible Study Tools. Both are apps and both are websites. I think I have that, actually. I have on um, page three. I've got two websites here. Okay, Bible Study Tools and Bible Hub are two good websites, but um, Bible Study Tools, and you can add Bible Gateway, have apps. Okay? Okay, so my takeaways from this are, if you look on page 11, we're called out from an angry, droning, scream-numb crowd to be a part of God's divine drama that rebuilds, loves, and brings justice. We are not mere passive audience members in life, but we are the church on our feet. And the technical term for that is the peripatetic. That just means you walk. Okay? Peripatetic church. Jesus had chutzpah. He had guts. He had nerve. He knew what he's talking about. And following Jesus takes some guts, yeah. some nerve, and some chutzpah. Amen. Yeah, amen. Amen. Um, In the last three minutes you have, would you at your tables share with each other some needs and pray for one another? And when you pray for one another, you are just missed. Thank you for joining us for lesson number one in the ongoing series, The Gospel of Matthew. Join us each week on iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. May God bless you and activate your hope through the power and work of the Holy Spirit that you may be the good news of Jesus Christ wherever you are.